Yeah, so I'm uh, on the adult ministry team, one of the pastors. Um, I get to run Alpha and baptisms, and I'm on the teaching team, so uh, hopefully you have seen me around a little bit. I realized looking out at all of you that I recognize more faces today than I did the last time that I spoke up here, and that is really exciting to me because I feel like I just get to talk about Jesus to my friends today, so thanks. And if this is your first time ever being with us, I make friends really easily, so really glad to have you as a part of my friendship now. Um, today we are finishing our series in Luke, and we're gonna do it a little bit different. Um, our service is gonna look different than usual. Um, if you are here in the room with us, you might have noticed a few different prayer stations around the room. There's one in the back, over there, on the sides here. I will explain those to you very clearly at the end. Um, but just know that's kind of part of something a little bit different today. And I have a pretty short message for us so that we can have an extended uh, time of response at the end. So settle in, and that's what we're doing today. Um, over the past few weeks, we have been studying the book of Luke. We have been looking at eyewitness testimonies of the life, the man, and the ministry of Jesus, and we have learned that it doesn't matter your background, the choices that you've made, your race, ethnicity, age, gender, marital status, ability, none of those things matter because the gospel applies to you. And the message that the kingdom of heaven is here means where you are in your life, however you find yourself today. And with that, we have an incredible invitation to experience it for ourselves. In every one of the stories that we've looked at, the eyewitness was presented with an opportunity for repentance, to experience humility, and to kneel before Jesus, the Jesus of sacrifice. So today we're gonna look at the, a story in Luke that quite literally brings us to the cross. And if you would like, you can turn with me to Luke 23 and we'll start in verse 32. Luke goes to great lengths to characterize Jesus's death as a continuation of his ministry and not an end. Luke cares a lot about repentance and in those stories, he wants us to see that Jesus' care and concern is for the heart of humanity. Luke, of all of the Gospels, his Gospel might be the most beautiful and the most poetic. In week one, Bo taught us about various ways that we can trust that the Bible is true, and one of those is to compare texts side by side. So we can do that with books of the Bible, and then we can also do it with books that are outside of the Bible, and see, do these stories all tell the same story? Uh, with our story today, it's a little bit different. So when you compare Luke to the other three Gospels, Matthew and Mark say that the criminals next to Jesus on the cross did the exact same thing as the crowd and they hurled insults at him and they reviled against him. John's gospel doesn't say anything about how the criminals responded, but Luke's gospel gives us a dialogue. We actually get a conversation between Jesus and the criminals on the cross and because of that, we get to learn the character of the men on the cross next to Jesus. So we're gonna look at them and then we're gonna look at another character in the story a little bit after. As we read this unique story, we have to believe that Luke caught an interaction that the others did not. 
that Luke picked up on something that was beautiful about Jesus, his heart, and the cares and concerns of his heart, even up until what seemed like the end. This story is not a story that we needed in order to learn more about who Jesus was, which it does do that, but we already know through all of these other stories that Jesus acts in mercy and grace and justice. Instead, what we get out of this is we get hope knowing that Jesus at his best is the same Jesus at his break. Let's read Luke. Luke 23, verses 32 through 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since we are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but the man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now if you're like me, you read this and you think of the justice of it. Like, yep, they got what they deserved. They should have been there on the cross too. They even admitted it. But then you have to ask, how did they get there? How many times did they see people crucified before this, lined up with the accused and the sentence? They are not spectators. They are center stage on their own cross. Do you think that they could have anticipated this? To provide the general population with a striking display of the fate awaiting those found guilty of resisting Roman rule, the Romans left the victim on the cross as long as possible. That just hits, I don't know, that's vicious. The most crowded roads were chosen and the most people could see and be moved by fear. From a Roman perspective, the horror of crucifixion was the horror of social shame. Executed publicly, situated along well-trafficked routes, devoid of clothing, denied burial, and left to be eaten by the birds and the beasts, victims of crucifixion were subject to vicious ridicule. The criminals on the cross, they had seen this happen before probably as children from a young age, and now they found themselves here. So when the first guy challenges Jesus, it sounds like desperation to me. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. There is a specific reason the two next to him are mentioned, and it's not necessarily as straightforward as You get a choice. You can either be the good guy or the bad guy. You can be the one on the cross who says, 
uh, all of the insults and denies Jesus, or you can be the other one who rebukes and repents and gets a free ticket into heaven. I just don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think that that's what we're supposed to take out of this story. Jesus has already forgiven them just verses ago. In fact, it's only in Luke that we find Jesus asking God to forgive the people responsible for putting him there. I do think the point is that we find ourselves in the story though, but it's both. We are not either or. Both of those characters exist in us, battling it out in a desperate struggle. The gospel is reconciling and it shouldn't be used as a divisive tool or a litmus test to see who's in and who's out. Jesus doesn't even do that. Instead, he offers sacrifice and to forgive them is the ultimate point of sacrifice. We'll get back to that a little bit later. In addition to comparing texts, we also know that Luke's gospel is true because of when they were written. So Luke actually gathered the actual eyewitnesses together, got all of their stories, published his work, and they published it when they were alive, which means that the people who told their stories could have said, um, that didn't happen, I didn't say that, and they could have refuted the stories that were told. And because our study of Luke has been looking at eyewitnesses, the first thing that I asked in studying this passage was, who is our eyewitness? And I quickly realized that our eyewitness, our eyewitnesses, they died. So Luke couldn't have gathered them. And then I made the mistake of assuming that Luke was our eyewitness, but Luke was not at the foot of the cross. So, who was? John 19.25 tells us that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. We know for certain that Mary was. Mary, the mother of Jesus and faithful disciple to her king, stood at the foot of the cross. Now having a son of my own, uh, I understand the devotion and obsession with my child and I would have been there too. When Hank is asleep, uh, my husband Alex and I get out our phones and we go through all of our pictures of him and we pass it back and forth and go, oh, look at this one, no, look at this one. And we go, oh my gosh, he's so cute. And go back and forth of like looking at these pictures of him. And then we laugh because he's literally right upstairs. And we literally saw him five minutes ago and we will see him again. But like just that, like so focused in. And uh, we watch him uh, get into his position and he snores and he gets himself in the funniest positions and I, babies are very flexible. And we look at him like, you, there's no way you're comfortable, but he adjusts and he twitches and turns and sometimes he stands up and talks and then goes back to sleep. And uh, it's the cutest thing. But our monitor also has a zoom button. And I use that zoom button because I have a terrible fear that my little boy who's upstairs actually safe in his bed is not safe in his bed. And so I take the zoom and I zoom all the way in and I get as close to his body as I can to look at his tiny little chest and his tiny little tummy and I watch to make sure that I can see a few breaths go in and out. I watch it rise and fall and to make sure that he's still breathing. I can only imagine that in this moment, at the foot of the cross, 
that Mary is watching her son, seeing his precious body hanging, focusing in on his chest and his tummy to watch the rise and fall of his breath, wondering, is he still breathing? Mary sat at the foot of the cross watching a miracle of a man and a vessel die. She is sitting at the foot of the cross staring at the only hope for the world at his break. And she will not leave his side. He is the most precious thing the Lord gave her. The Lord gave him to her to protect, to raise, and to comfort. This is a really sad moment for his followers, but this is a devastating moment for Mary. She chose to be there in this moment. She chose to follow Jesus through the crowd and up the hill and to the cross. And I bet she remembered back to the night when the angel of the Lord met her and said, you are going to bear the Son of God. And now she's looking at the plaque and reading King of the Jews. She's remembering him as a child, playing and learning, and she's probably thinking back to the times that he healed and delivered women and the lame. She's thinking about Lazarus dying and Jesus weeping for his friend. And she remembers that he called Lazarus out of his grave. And now she's sitting here wondering what's next and how will life triumph this time? In the Romans' eyes, his death was because he showed opposition to the emperor, stirred the people and perverted the nation, and that was it for them. But we know that that's not the the full story. We know that what they hadn't yet experienced, that Jesus would have the ultimate triumph over death, rising from the dead just three days later. In order for there to be resurrection, there has to be death, which means that sometimes the good things do die. And the story of Jesus' death is not for our comfort, knowing, well, all things die. It's to show us that all things have to die and that death must be a part of the story, and it must be a part of our story. Sometimes those things come back even better, and sometimes we're led into something even greater all its own. We don't always know what's going to happen next, but always just focusing on what's next isn't necessarily what we should be doing. What if instead we focus on finding ourselves at the cross too? I imagine Luke went to Mary when collecting his stories and asked, tell me your story. Tell me about Jesus. What did you see in him? And how did it shape your understanding of who he is? And in however many words, she confirms that he preached the kingdom of heaven is near. And he showed how. She tells of the love of Jesus, which pierces through the insults and the pain and the disbelief. She does not testify of a fear-driven gospel on making the right choice of two. She testified that Jesus offers peace and hope in times of desperation. That he hung on the cross with his arms stretched wide in beauty and grace. The kingdom of heaven is still here. It's with us, it's all around us, and it's the good news that there is hope whether you're on the cross or you're at the foot, whether your life circumstances have brought you to a place of hopelessness or feeling stuck or desperate like the criminals or like Mary, wondering how will life triumph? 
holding on to hope and holding on to something that you've stewarded really well, but you know that you have to let go into the hands of God. I want you to see Jesus the way that they saw Jesus and experience him the way that they did. I want you to find yourself in the story and ask, how did I get here? And am I going to stay? We've wondered how the men got on the cross next to Jesus, what put them there. We've looked at Mary and that she chose to be there, the life that led her there. Every person in this story brought them their full selves. And when we bring ourselves to the cross, we do the same. All of our hopes, our dreams, our brokenness, and the ways that we fall short, when we bring those to the cross and we lay them down, we're saying, here I am. Here's all of me. Take it all. Coming to Jesus in surrender, we receive his forgiveness, his life, and we receive his very best. The kingdom of heaven in us and through us. And so my question for you today is, will you come to the cross? Will you bring everything that you have today and lay it down? Because you will find that when you do, you will experience life and life in all of its fullness. Our worship team is gonna come back up and um, we're gonna go into a time of ex extended response. Um, we have been looking at all of these eyewitness testimonies in the book of Luke, and our hope is that you have related with one or multiple of these characters and want you to feel empowered to be an eyewitness as well. And so we've done some response time at the end of each message. And because we're closing today, I thought, let's make it a little bit longer and give us some real time to rest and breathe and just move in the spirit. So we have a few different things that we would love for you to engage with for the next X amount of time that we're in here. Okay, the first is um, there are prayer stations. So in the back over there, is that Bob? Next to Bob. And over here... Uh, I, nobody's over there. Yeah, right there. Okay, so those two stations have a rock and a pedal, and there is a prompt that's on the table, but essentially what you're doing there is you're dropping the rock in to signify something that you're heavy, that you're laying down, and you're dropping the pedal in to represent the piece that you're picking up. So those are in those corners. And then up in the front here on the sides, underneath the crosses, we have little squares of tool in different colors. Each color represents something different. Read the um, little plaque that's over there. And what you're gonna do is take one of those pieces of tool and just poke it into one of the holes as a representation of praying for that thing to receive that thing. We also have communion that's up here on the front of the stage on either side if you would like to do that uh, with yourself or with somebody else. Um, we're not going to actually lead communion, so that's gonna be self-led. The other thing is we're gonna have um, just in a time of prayer, we're gonna have elders up in the front here that are willing to pray with you, would really love to pray with you, um, and they might also take some walks down the aisles as well. During your prayer time, I want you to do one of three things. The first is uh, you might find yourself in here never having said yes to Jesus. 
Maybe you have been kind of doing the church thing for a while, or maybe this is your very first Sunday ever, and you're like, I haven't said yes to Jesus, and you wanna be all in. That would be prayer number one. Pray with somebody that you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you wanna come to the foot of the cross for the very first time, lay it all down, and receive what the Lord has to offer. So that would be thing number one. Thing number two um, is maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and um, you're ready for a next step. And that would be to maybe pray for baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is a prayer that we say, Holy Spirit, come, and we wait for the Spirit of the Lord to anoint us, to fill us, and to overwhelm us with all of the peace and all of the power that the Lord has to offer. And when we do that, we get to overflow with really good gifts like love and grace and gentleness and some other more charismatic ones like visions and speaking in tongues and prophecy. If you feel that today, you feel a stirring in your spirit of wanting to do that, come up to an elder or maybe just grab the person next to you and pray for that. And then the third one is, um, I think we should pray for healing. If there's anybody in the room who has something that they want prayer for or knows somebody, um, let's pray for those things and let's ask the Lord to move. So as we, we're gonna sing a couple songs and I just encourage you to sit in a space of prayer with open hands and soft hearts to just receive whatever it is that the Lord has for you today. And please do, please engage these things and take bold steps and just listen to the spirit of the Lord as you just rest in his presence for the next few minutes. And then I'll come back up at the end and close.